The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Greetings, listeners in listener land. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis Intune. We're glad that you joined us today. Mark, happy Juneteenth to you. Well, thank you. You too. <laughs> the same to you. St. Louis Intune is a weekly broadcast. We focus and reflect on issues that impact and connect our community in the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. Next week, we're going to have on a professor from Webster University who I read an article by him in one of the local media, uh, print medias, and I thought it was very, very, I'm not going to mention the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, but um, I, I'll give them credit where credit's due. I, I found it very interesting because of his perspective on that, that you know these things happen a lot very often, and there are some extenuating circumstances of why monuments can't come down quickly. Uh, I did some research on that. Some of that is based upon... Uh, some of those are historic landmarks, and now there is uh, national laws that have to be followed for them to be removed. Uh, many times states have enacted laws and, and legislation uh, protecting them, and they've not left it to local control. And so the local uh, uh, municipalities or cities cannot act how they necessarily want to act because of uh, infringement by state law or by National Historic Law. So uh, I thought those were, you know, there's always a little bit more to why things don't happen quickly. And I know the wheels of government don't move quickly. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a very I, interesting topic. I, I, it's also interesting how some of these statues, for me, it's interesting how some of these statues were erected in the first place. Um, if I can just um, <laughs> if I can just editorialize for a moment, oh, please do. Um, you know the the Civil War was only four years in our entire history of of the United States, only like four years, um, and it was all about it was all over the ownership of a human being, and I just don't see where anything should be. Uh, and I'll get, I'm sure I'll get letters about it, but I don't, you know, I don't see where we should be putting up any uh, statues uh, about the Civil War. Um, it, it, it was all about it was all over the states' rights to uphold slavery, um, and that you know, as soon as Abraham Lincoln, if my if my history is right, when Abraham Lincoln came in, that's when everything just you know. <laughs> went went crazy because he came in going we we don't want slaves we're not going to have this slave thing and everybody said oh yes we are and they went into this civil war which was a bloody terrible civil war over the ownership of people and then not to mention that the blacks uh, African Americans were not able to even vote until sometime in the 1900s which is even more terrible but um, just erecting statues for uh, to celebrate um, what the Civil War was about, I have a problem with. I, I, I just, uh, it, it, it's un uncomfortable for me, and I just don't get it. Well, and, and um, here, here's the background on that, because I, I think you've hit on something that 
a lot of people wonder what what in the world's going on with this why why are we doing that why was it done why the monuments went up in the first place that's a a very very good question a second question is why do we still have them and why are they still funded by the government that's a second question and then the third question is what do we do with them now so those those are three questions i want to talk about right now and you keep me on track the first question is why were they put up in the first place if you uh, and what you said okay we've got people who died in a war um you know Billy Bob and Jimmy Joe, and it was a horrible war. And you go, like, I've been to the Gettysburg Battlefield. I've been to uh, down the Shiloh Battlefield, several battlefields. And you always see the mass graves or you see the individual graves, et cetera, like that. And so uh, what we've got is uh, a camera issue on Facebook. But what we have are people who have died and Naturally, when people die, you would put up, okay, here's a monument to those who have fallen in this battle. I can understand that, okay? I can understand that at a battlefield, right. at a cemetery, especially at a cemetery, because a cemetery is to honor the dead. You know, sure. it's, uh, it's not for the dead, as they're, they're dead, they're gone, okay? But it's to honor their sacrifice or to honor what they did, uh, whether you agree with it or not, okay? And that was done that way. What happened... After the war, there were very few of those. After the war, they started to commemorate those cemeteries. And as we moved through Reconstruction and how Reconstruction actually started to become deconstruction and Southern uh, whites gained leverage again, you know, blacks really started to rise uh, during Reconstruction— in, in Congress, in the Senate, in state houses, starting to change laws, that really freaked out a lot of white Southerners, okay, frankly. And as, right. as Reconstruction was starting to turn, and in the Compromise of 1876, because in 1875 you had the, um, there was a federal act passed on civil rights, the Civil Rights Act of 1875. In 1876, there was the compromise which allowed the president to become, Rutherford Hayes, to become president. And the exchange of Democrats voting for him to become president was that he would pull federal troops out of the South. And when the federal troops pulled out of the South, it was every man for himself. And white Southerners said, hey, this is our time to get these things back. You had also going on at that time, the Ku Klux Klan was mm-hmm. rising in prominence, was being glorified. You had mm-hmm. all these Southern sympathizers who were still war veterans saying, hey, we need to go back to the way of life that we had. You had the beginning of this mantra right. of the lost cause, which was mm-hmm. it was never about slavery. You know, slaves were happy back then. Right. And so you start seeing now monuments being placed not in cemeteries, but in public squares in front of courthouses to and, and and I will read some of these things that they were done my words now this is in your face black people this is to remind you of your place this is to remind you of why uh, what we're going to be doing and so as time continues during the late 1890s you have this proliferation of monuments going up 
then it dies off. Then you you have the then you obviously have during that time you've got uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. You've got uh, separate but equal. You've got uh, other things going on at the time. Jim Crow laws really becoming very prominent. Also now right. in the twenties and thirties right. you have now monuments going up again because of active uh, right after uh, you know the Red Summer of nineteen nineteen, which we talked about uh, last week. Right. Uh, then you have also sure. during all of these times, uh, the civil rights movement, you have monuments going up, even as recently as several years ago. So there's roughly 700 Confederate monuments in the United States, okay? And they're spread over 31 states. Wow. 31 states, but only 11 Confederate states seceded. So how does that work? I've got a map in front of me right now. And wh- Go ahead, Mark. That's crazy. What what you're kind of saying also is that even though that we had from 1861 to 65, and I think it was April or August, it was April, that we had the actual war itself, it really sounds like it continued on. After the bloodshed of the war, the whole attitude that started the war in the first place seems to continue for many decades after that. Oh, absolutely. Well, it still continues. And, still continues. You know, with, yeah. Oh, it still does, and it, which is, yeah. yeah. So if you think the Civil War is over, it's not. I would rather see, I'm so, I, I, just a little sidebar here, I would rather see them um, uh, uh, celebrate the citizens of the United States at these cemeteries instead of the generals of the Confederacy or whoever's running the Confederacy. Uh, you know, these are, and the, the sad part for me is that these are U.S. citizens fighting U.S. citizens. You know, there's our people fighting against our people uh, to own people. <laughs> um, so I, I feel for my brother as a as an American, um, not for what they stood for, but as a brother. And we lost Americans there, even though they may have been misguided. <laughs> but anyway. No, I, Sorry. Uh, the um, I think the whole thing about the monument deal is now this. This is a professor from University of North Carolina or North Carolina. Most of these monuments did not go up immediately after the war's end. Commemorative markers tended to be memorials that mourn soldiers, which is kind of what I, I had stated. He said eventually the vast majority that were built were built between 1890 and 1950, which matches up exactly with the era of Jim Crow segregation. And the biggest spike was between 1900 and 1920. And in contrast, and this is exactly kind of what you said, in contrast to memorials that mourn dead soldiers, they tended to glorify the leadership of the Confederacy. You know, Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, Stonewall Jackson. And here's the, here's the comment that I find interesting. And this is by Mark Elliott, history professor at University of North Carolina, Greensboro. All of those monuments were there to teach values to people. That's why they put them in the city squares. That's why they put them in front of state buildings. Many earlier memorials had been had instead been placed in cemeteries. So they stood for, he said, a glorification of the cause of the Civil War. Now, you can't get any more warped than that. And, and I say that. That, that is warped. No. That is that is completely. Uh, I hate the uh, I hate the argument when they I hate the argument when they say uh, we're putting these monuments up because we want to. It's part of our history. We want to remember our history and what we all went through. There are so many other things we can celebrate in this country than those four years of fighting for slavery. 
there's just so many other things we can. You're so playing right. Thing. You're playing right into my uh, my my thing here. That uh, I have a story about that well, too. Well, it's it's true though. You know, and 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 the, if you have, use your common sense, uh, anybody. I mean, it's just a logical <laughs> conclusion. Uh, you know, there's so many things that we've accomplished here uh, in the United States, and I I had no idea till you just said that out of the 11 states, how many states have got it? 13 or something? 31. How many states have? 31. 31. That's just crazy. <laughs> in right. in Montana, in Oregon, why why do they need? Why? They weren't even, it was Northwest Territory back then. You know, so these are the questions, wow. you know, and some streets are named. So this is how, this is how bold it gets, okay? Um, mm-hmm. In 1956, as a backlash to the civil rights movement, Georgia redesigned its state flag to include the Confederate battle flag. In 1962, South Carolina placed the flag atop the Capitol building. The Southern Poverty Law Center in 2016 said that the country's more than 700 monuments were part of roughly 1,500 symbols of the Confederacy in public spaces. So, you know, when you've got this glorification um, of the lost cause going on, and it's continuing because government continues to fund these things. And this is part of what we're going to talk about with Brian. And hopefully he got 12 o'clock his time, not 12 o'clock our time, because we got somebody else coming on at 12 o'clock our time. But the government spends money on Confederate graves. You know, the Department of Veterans Affairs has provided... Right. 33,000 headstones for veterans of the Civil War. 60% of those have been for Confederate soldiers. And, you know, I can continue to read this, why this happened. It happened initially uh, at the, the the VA was doing this to provide headstones for fallen soldiers, kind of a tradition uh, that went back to 1867. Right. They ordered the Department of War to do this in national cemeteries. It wasn't until the 20th century. Now, you have to note the times of these things that when they happened. It wasn't until the 20th century Confederate veterans were included in the tradition with legislation passed in 1906. Well, you, you look at what's going on with Jim Crow during that time. You look at how Reconstruction, deconstruction, my words, was, was basically, uh-huh. okay, now whites are taken back over in the South. It was expanded then to con- all Confederate graves in 1929. Notice the time frame. Uh, and then it was kind of given over to the National Cemeteries Act, which they, they were now responsible for it. And who's erecting all these monuments and pushing all this stuff? The United Daughters of the Confederacy, okay? And so it's, there's no yeah. co- coincidence that all of this kind of attitude, law change, uh, Confederate monuments, memorials, it occurs right during this time. you got the federal withdrawal from the South, you know, in 18, uh, due to the Compromise of 1876. So during that time, you see the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which kind of reaches its height right around the late 1880s, and then it starts to decline. You, you see this more, oh, gee, we want to memorialize this stuff. You got the celebration of Jefferson Davis's 100th birthday in 1908. You've got this, the novel. You've probably heard about this, The Klansman, a historical romance of the Ku Klux Klan. It became a hit in 1905, was a theatrical oh, yeah. uh, adaptation, Why? The Birth of a Nation, which Woodrow Wilson showed in the White House, you know. And didn't Wilson also resegregate the military or something? I mean, Wilson, Wilson also, 
resegregated the federal civil service, yeah. screened the birth of a nation in the White House, and spoke at the dedication of the Confederate monument held on Jefferson Davis's birthday. He was the first Southern president since, you know, after the war. Okay, he's from Virginia. Wilson was from Virginia. Yes, I thought he was from New Jersey, Princeton. But yeah, he, he was, was a professor uh, there. He was originally a, su- a Southerner. Okay. So, you know, when you see this this stuff and you, you kind of put it all together, and this is the something we talked about last week. Um, by the way, FEMA provided $14 million to rehabilitate the Jefferson Davis Presidential Library in Biloxi uh, after uh, Hurricane Katrina. You, you know, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying that's a bad thing. All right, what, what are we doing? Because when you go down there and you take a tour, and this is where Brian went. He went down there, and they took the tour, and they were listening to the verbiage being delivered that, oh, the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, slaves really enjoyed being uh, where they were. They were treated well. Slaves. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's like... So we're perpetuating this lost cause verbiage, the Daughters of the uh, Confederacy. And then you have a group called, and I'm not calling people out, I'm just reading information, folks. I'm educating myself and helping you be educated. You know, the, what what's the statement is at the beginning of the show, the views and opinions expressed by the following show are those of the host, guest. We run that disclaimer for a reason, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, Exactly. So you have the sons of the Confederate veterans. They want to convince Americans that the Southern heritage isn't about slavery and racism. Okay? And they have chapters all over the United States. And they, uh, called the SCV, they're the Sons of Confederate Veterans. They perpetuate the history and legacy of the heroes for future generations. And they are generally descendants of Confederate veterans. Okay? And... I'm a descendant of a veteran. My father was a veteran of World War II, but he wasn't a Confederate veteran. And right. even if my father had certain viewpoints that maybe, I'm sure he did, uh, how he grew up, I don't have some of those same viewpoints. And you have to right. look at life in general. So now you have the, the United Daughters, you have the Sons of the Veterans. They're mass-producing these monuments cheaply in the North. They're sending them down South. And... There was this, you know, frenzy uh, of getting these monuments up here. Listen to this one, Mark. Uh, uh, Let's see here. Where we go? Uh, In Orange, Texas, there is a circle of 13 columns. It's a Confederate memorial of the wind, it's called, for the 13 Confederate states. It has 32 regional military flags, eight fluttering iterations of William Thompson's stars and bars. And you know where it's under construction? On Martin Luther King Drive. Now, that stuff is not done accidentally. It's no, not done, uh, oh, it, we just happened to buy land there. Oh, you know, it, oh, it, no. was, it was just the name of that street. They, they changed that. This stuff no. is all done um, covertly and overtly, and frankly, it needs to stop because it's detrimental to all people, especially black people in our country. Yep. It's so true. So it's, which state has the most confederate, confederate monuments? That was my next question. Got to be Virginia. Um, the answer is... Louisiana. The Daily Double. Um, Mississippi. Texas. Wow. 
Texas. So we're going we're gonna to come back and talk more about this. I hope I've done my – I'm starting in my three questions here that I kind of posed to everybody. But it's important that this information get out there. It's kind of like Juneteenth and the Tulsa massacre. Well, we need to thank President Trump for helping educate more people about Juneteenth and the Tulsa massacre. And I'll make more of a statement about that after the break. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. St. Louis in Tune is recorded weekly at the studios of KWRH 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. This is Arnold Strucker with Mark Langston. We've been talking about Confederate monuments, and it's important to understand the historical context of why they went up, why they are still up, why they don't come down, why we fund them, who are the people that put them up, who are the people that continue to perpetuate the lost cause, etc. like that. So prior to the break, we were talking about, uh, I did mention uh, frankly, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, Mark, and I think I mentioned it to you mm-hmm. maybe earlier on the phone when we were talking, that really President Trump has done more to make Juneteenth a national holiday and bring out the importance of Juneteenth and just frankly that it, it exists and also the importance of what happened in Tulsa during the Tulsa massacre down there than anybody else has done prior to this time because how many people knew about the Tulsa massacre unless they've listened to this show because we've talked about it before how many people knew about Juneteenth unless they grew up with that or had listened to this show or had known about it but he really gave a national spotlight like man I opened my phone up this morning to read the news and man everything was all about Juneteenth it was never like that and I no it was never and I've never seen that before and I think that I was listening to a correspondent talking about, does, did Trump really have anyone on his staff that talked to him about Juneteenth prior to them even making the date, uh, making the reservations, if you would, uh, for, for their, big, um, their big convention, which is also a, another um, concern, I suppose. Uh, you know, it was... They canceled it and moved it, and it was kind of a, it was kind of done as an afterthought. It's like, oh my goodness, we uh, we made a mistake putting it on the state in the first place. That is a bit of a concern to me too. That he's not surrounded with uh, advisors that would say, whoa, I, do you know that you made a, uh, you know, put our conference on this very uh, important date, uh, and it, it kind of came after the date was announced and plans were made. And so that that that's a bit of a concern for me too. But and you're right, he. I don't know if he celebrates that he told everyone about this particular date and this particular moment in our history or not. But um, you know, the people I've talked to say that they didn't know about Juneteenth until maybe a couple of years ago. A few years ago. I mean, but we all know now, I think. Yeah, because it's—and we're going to talk about that in the second hour when we have uh, Lee Jordan on. Uh, But the Juneteenth celebration has has waned over the years and has really come back, especially since the uh, uh, 1960s and the Civil Rights Movement. The um, Yeah, I I don't know how you accidentally do that. Um, 
I, d- I just don't know because if even no, if you I just, just Google yeah, like concern, what's important like, on this date yeah. and you don't want to do anything to cause and then uh, a friction and then you do it at a place that has had a, a, a massacre and a, an entire uh, Black Wall Street wiped out in Tulsa, uh, you don't do those things on the same day. It's I, I think that's too there coincidental. could be divine intervention. I know people think I'm crazy. There could be divine intervention here because he didn't move the event from one state to another. It happened to be, I don't know if there's anything going on there, but uh, well, it, it's uh, it's interesting. And then there's some companies now that are recognizing it as a result of all this that never did before. And correct. Talking about letting their workers off today. I, I have a question. I was wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, if Even if uh, the Trump administration like was fully aware that Juneteenth was the celebration of the emancipation of the slaves, you know, and that it was a holiday, and even that something happened in Tulsa, why would it be, you know, why would that make it inappropriate to schedule a rally in that time and place? I, I think it's insensitive. I think it's not regarding the historical aspects and recognizing the damage that those events had on the black community in Tulsa. and, well, and on, Is, on is the, it that Trump is having the rally, or is it that anyone would have a rally on, or do anything besides celebrate Juneteenth on that day? No, that day? I, I, th- I think the fact that it was in Tulsa and on that day. And, and I, I, it's, just, it's just like if, um, gee, we're going to have a rally to commemorate uh, Nazi Germany on July 4th or on VE Day or something like that. And I'm trying to draw some analogies so people would understand. I also read one. It's like celebrating uh, Holocaust Memorial Day on the steps of Auschwitz. Is you know, it really, though? I mean, you're comparing... Trump to Nazis? No, I'm not. I'm not comparing him that way. This is. I was reiterating what some other people had had stated about that. I think it's it, it's part and parcel to this statement I'm going to make right now. That, um, and I'll answer that this way, Chris. Is I've often wondered what would Reconstruction have been like if Abraham Lincoln had not been assassinated. And the fact of the matter, he was assassinated. Okay, and we have what we have. And we're dealing with what we have are dealing with because people did not do what they needed to do morally for all people in our country back then. Now, we have all this stuff thrown in our faces because of what's happened with the police and all of the incidents that have gone on with uh, uh, aggressive police and some of the activities that have happened in several cities. You have celebrations like Juneteenth. You have the Tulsa Massacre, which all the history now is floating to the surface and saying, now, what are you going to do about this? And what we've done in the past is we've not done anything because it's like many people, I think, say, well, if we don't do anything, it'll calm down, it'll go away. Well, it doesn't go away. It's kind of like a splinter. A splinter continues to fester and work its way to the surface. And when it works its way to the surface, it becomes an irritant. And what history does over the course of time is it throws this book on the shelf until the book throws itself back off the shelf at us. And so I think it is now incumbent upon not the government, but individuals, we are the government, we the people, to make sure this doesn't get put back on the shelf. Let's recognize the things that need to be recognized. Let's, I'm not for calling out 
things just to call them out and point the finger because you're pointing the finger at one person, you got three pointing back at you. So it's you got to be careful. But what I'm saying is let's be cognizant of what's happening around us. Let's not just, uh, as, as a white guy, me, let's not put my head in the sand and go, okay, well, everything's normal and white and, and, and white and normal for me, okay? But that's not the case for everybody. That's not the case for people who have had their their neck, a knee on their neck and who've died. That's not the case for people who get harassed by being uh, drunk and sitting in their car at a Wendy's uh, line. And all those other kinds of situations, I'm dancing down the street, not me, another guy, I'm dancing down the street I do this four or five times a day. I live across the street, and yet I'm picked up, and I'm put in a police car and arrested because somebody called in that there's this black guy dancing in the street. You know, it's, it's that kind of, or, or like we talked a couple weeks ago about what happened in Central Park where this woman call, who's letting her dog run loose off the leash calls about this black man who's just minding his own business bird watching. You know, we cannot be silent about watching these things and be bystanders. We talk about this with kids in school. You can't be a bystander when somebody's bullying somebody else. And this is covert and overt bullying of a whole group of people that has gone on for years and years. And we're just we're just reaping the dividends. We're not even reaping the principle. We're reaping the dividends of inactivity since the end of the Civil War and prior to the Civil War. So that's my answer to your question. Yeah, no, I, I'm just saying if I, if I were a black Trump supporter, I would be kind of honored that, you know, so it depends on, like, I know oh, I there are a lot of saying. people that would be upset, but, you know, if you look at those rallies, they're, they're, they're pretty diverse. They're may, may, maybe not as diverse as, uh, uh, you know, rallies on the Democrat side, but, uh, you know, there are uh, African-Americans right. who support the president and they would not have a problem with 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 having it. in fact they would almost maybe right. think of it in a very different way right like say you know uh, the other side would feel about Obama having a rally on that day exactly exactly right. and you you know you can look at this and say well, well maybe go ahead Mark no I was gonna say he makes uh, Chris makes a good point uh, and it's one to be considered and if they were uh, perhaps me advising the president I would say maybe do hold it on that date but also in tandem with that celebrate what's going on that day too we're here in a city you know and and let's talk about it and bring it out even more and, and discuss it more boy i hope um, he does yeah and i think he, he could even well, take it I a step too. further and declare juneteenth a national holiday he could that would that would be a huge deal of course are these things done for political reasons? They're always done for political reasons. Or are they done for the right reasons? Sometimes those two cross and intersect. Most of the time, I'm sure they, they diverge. But they're always there's done that way. But I, I agree with you. You know, it could be, there could be people that say, hey, I'm honored to have that. I, I'm thinking you either have people who are advising you to do that because it will create a consternation, and then you can change it, or there's people who are clueless, and who didn't do their or their fact finding, or there's people who said, "Yeah, let's deliberately do it on that day." Who are just vengeful and spiteful. Well, that would obviously be you know right. nasty and mean, but you know you can't get inside people's minds and right. ascertain motives. Right. You know, it's very difficult to do that. And he, any you know, it's basically any criminal statute that involves proving intent. It's like kind of like saying, "Oh, we're, we're not going to just we're just not even going to prosecute for this crime because it's in, it's such a high bar to prove intent." 
And, uh, you know, so, so when you try, you got to really be cautious when you're trying to ascribe intent or motive. Oh, absolutely. People. Absolutely. I, I understand that. I, I just thought um, it was, it's, it's great that a lot of people know about the holiday now and they know about the Tulsa massacre. And maybe it will help change some things, change some attitudes. So back to 209 memorials in Texas. The second most memorial state of Confederate memorials is Georgia followed by South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, Florida, Arkansas, Kentucky, West Virginia, Missouri has 20 memorials, Oklahoma, California, Arizona, Ohio, Arizona, I don't know why Arizona is involved with that, New Mexico, I don't know why New Mexico is involved with that, Washington, D.C., Idaho, Maryland, Washington State, followed up by only one memorial, Lowly South Dakota, Nevada, Indiana, and Iowa. 21 states have no Confederate memorials. All in New England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's Union Central up there. I wanted to read, read another um, statement here. We had talked uh, in the first half hour about the SCV, which are the sons of Confederate veterans, that this statement by this author, who is uh, Katie Waldman, said the SCV isn't fighting to protect a set of historical facts about the Civil War so much as it's fighting to control who interprets those facts and assembles them for the nation. The fantasy of the lost cause is a dream of white American innocence, one in which slavery is explained away. And, and then that's true. When you look at textbooks, uh, history textbooks that they're just glances um, my wife and I were talking about this she's a social studies teacher and she was mentioning a prominent educational website which talks about reconstruction and the very first paragraph talked about oh the poor southerners and it's like we're not talking about the black southerners we're talking about the white Southerners. So it's, it's this, these unspoken, I guess, and innuendo or just kind of abstaining from acknowledging the issue and moving further along. Uh, a couple things that maybe you weren't aware of. What about Confederate monuments in the U.S. Capitol? I'm really going to stir it up here now. Don't the states get to choose monuments for the capital? So you get the southern states kind of trying to stick it to, uh, you know. Chris, Chris knows his history. This is in the National Statuary Hall collection in the U.S. Capitol. It includes eight statues that honor high-ranking political leaders and military officers of the Confederate States of America. And one of those right now is slated for replacement. So in all of the 100 statues, each state gets two. To Looks like we lost Mark. Yeah, each state gets two to memorialize uh, people. So we have uh, Confederates honored in Statuary Hall, Jefferson Davis, Mississippi, General James George, Mississippi, General Wade Hampton, South Carolina, General Robert E. Lee, Virginia, General Edmund Smith, Florida, Alexander Stevens, who is the vice president of the Confederacy for Georgia, 
Colonel Zebulon Vance, North Carolina, and General Joe Wheeler, Alabama. And earlier, uh, Florida voted to remove its statue of General Edmund Smith and replace it with one to honor civil rights activist and educator Mary Bethune. She will be the first African-American with a state commission statue in Statuary Hall. And in 2009, Alabama removed its statue of Lieutenant Colonel Jabez Curry, an Army officer and member of the First Confederate Congress, and replaced it with Helen Keller. So it's very interesting that those things, they, they kind of come in waves where there's this, gee, we need to do something. I remember several years back, uh, the Columbus statue in um, the park. Gee. Here in St. Louis? Here in St. Louis, Tower Grove Park, that was removed recently. But it's it's had a longstanding um, issue with people because of what Columbus did. And all of those statues are done for pride purposes. You know, Italian-Americans, let's celebrate... You know, these kinds of things, you know, if we're from this group, let's celebrate this. And it's where they're located and what they are commemorating. Now, I want to kind of give a a balance to this because the National Trust for Historic Preservation, they have some articles on this. And they talk about, uh, you know, there's nothing new about fighting over monuments, that this has been going on apparently since um, 1911 when— you know, uh, the Francis Scott Key statue was was placed. It was causing some fervency back then. And a couple of their statements, they say, whether you treasure, tolerate, or abhor these monuments, we can't ignore the questions that they provoke. And that's true. We can't ignore them. We can't put them on the shelves. We can't continue to say, oh, it doesn't matter. And they also continue, and they say, our understanding of our own history has been distorted in too many minds by silence and deliberate misinterpretation. And so what they suggest as some possible approaches to uh, taking care of some of these memorials in your community is uh, at different historic sites, uh, you know, they, they recommend what is the importance of the context. You know, it's important to understand the context of what's going on. Uh, some may be uh, an important endeavor, some may be about an important battle, some may be about an important person, where they are located, maybe a monument standing in a town square might need to be reframed, maybe uh, they they even go to the fact of, say, making it a piece of artwork and project images of civil rights protesters. You know, some people say, hey, put a plaque on it that says, yeah, but here's the other side of the story. And I think there is benefit in balancing one of my favorite words these monuments staying up and the monuments coming down because if they all come down then you lose that aspect of history until somebody brings it back up you know 50 60 70 years down the road yeah look at all these conversations we're having right now about all these statues now i didn't i was not aware of the motive a lot of these statues that are being torn down now were put there basically to 
remind African Americans of what their place was and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, in the time period, as you just outlined in, in the first segment of the show. It's, um, I, I mean, I have a lot more sympathy for the, the people that are ripping them down now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the statues weren't there, we would never have had this conversation. Correct. So that's, you know, if they're there, you, you know, there's a story behind every one of those statues in Statuary Hall, a political process that led to that statue being put there by that state. And if, if the statue's not there, we don't have the conversation and we don't even have a reason to ask about it. And, and, we, and it, sh- it shouldn't have us to continue to be silent about it. Um, this statement kind of echoes what you're saying. We should always remember the past, but we do not necessarily need to revere it. And those were put up, they would say, um, they, they would never, I, I don't think, would publicly admit that, yeah, we're putting this up to remind blacks to, that this is their place. They were, they were putting them up to honor the legacy of that's the commitment. That's their story, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, their, that's their story, and they're sticking to it. They're still sticking to it. But the fact remains, if they were black, they may not feel that way. If yeah. they had to grow up you know, in the oppression that was unleashed even after the Civil War yeah. uh, and after Reconstruction and during Jim Crow and, and all of that, uh, they might have a different opinion about that. Yeah. Again, always uh, dicey to try and ascribe motive, but given the pattern of other things that were going on at that time with the Klan and, right. and, and the trying to undo the Civil War uh, in the South, uh, you know, it's pretty reasonable to... Um, conclude that that's the reason those statues were put there in those public places. Yeah, and I, th- I don't think you can actually look at these things in isolation like in silos, which we've talked about previously, and that's how many times we look at history we, or we look at incidents, and we don't tie these incidents together. We don't tie in Confederate monuments. We don't tie in why there is a redlining in, in cities, especially here in St. Louis. We don't tie in that uh, gee, why is the economic wealth of blacks compared to whites, why is there such a wide gap? Uh, we, we'll look at that in one silo, and but we won't attribute it or link all these pieces together and come to a conclusion that, wow, uh, or disenfranchisement of, of voting, which immediately took place in 1877. Uh, let's let's get rid of that because you know blacks were given the, the right to vote in the Fifteenth Amendment. So you know now all poll taxes and all these other kinds of things that are taking place that that took place at the time. And some people even consider today because we're going to have a show on the Fourteenth Amendment coming up uh, in the near future here that discusses some of that and disenfranchisement. So uh, interesting discussion that I think people need to have around the dinner table. Hint hint. Have dinner together, right. families. You know. And and listen to a variety I, of viewpoints. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, I understand the point of uh, if we weren't taking these, uh, if these statues weren't standing now, and we weren't taking them down, would we have this discussion? Um, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I, I think they should be gone um, because I think they. You're, you're having a discussion today, but tomorrow, when the discussion is stopped and we get back to normal, those statues are still standing there and reminding us of the oppression uh, of, of the Civil War. Um, and I'd rather have the discussion just as maybe we need to have that discussion and get it, get it resolved once and for all, I would say. Um, I, I understand, though, 
you know, would we even be talking about this in 2020? Should we even be talking about it? Probably not, but we are, unfortunately. Um, but letting those statues remain that, that reflect a four-year period of our of our country, probably the bloodiest war against each other. Uh, to me, it, I think that we can talk about the oppression of, of, a, of a race of people in a different way. Uh, and I, I hope we, we do, and I think we are. But uh, that's my two cents on it. No, I, I think it's that's... A, it's a fascinating conversation. It, it is a fascinating conversation, and I guess I would want to leave this with people, uh, and even with ourselves, who, you know, Mark, you're on the phone, and Chris here in the studio, and myself... What are we going to do with the information now that we have? It's not, okay, that's good information. How does that translate into a change of attitude or a change of action or supporting things to make changes so the black citizens of our country are treated more fairly and equitably so we don't have issues that... Uh, happened that we've been reading about in the news the last couple weeks. What what can we do? And I'm not saying I'm not suggesting oh we need to go out and march or anything like that. What are you going to do? Because it's been complacency and or no information or misinformation which has contributed to silence. Right. And so I would challenge the people who yeah, are listening. Silence is not good. Right. What what are you going to do? Are you going to write your Legislator, you're going to write your congressperson, you're going to write your senator, you're going to write the president. What are you going to do to, uh, as a citizen, defend the rights of other citizens whose rights have have been stripped away? So, well, the impact of tearing a monument down like that certainly <laughs> does get your point across, and it does bring awareness to it. There's no question about that. You know, and my fear is that the monument gets torn down but that was the visual representation of the segregated mind and that attitude. How do we change the attitudes? How do we help change the hearts of people who have issues in this, in this area? That's, that's a big thing. That's a tough yeah, thing. And there's just also the kind of sta- you know, tainted history of kind of yard null and, uh, and, and trying to remove history and erase history as being kind of a hallmark of totalitarianism that scares a lot of people, frankly. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, the, the guest we're going to have on next week, he said it's, it's important that people today have the chance to put their stamp on history. In some ways, we're in a revolutionary moment and revolutions topple monuments. I thought was, that was a very good comment. So we're going to continue this conversation in the future. It's something that I don't think will go away. And in our next hour, we're going to be talking about Juneteenth. This is St. Louis in Tune, which is recorded weekly in St. Louis at the studios of KWRH 92.9 FM.